That is Herb Alpert, NST1 of Brass. I am Carson Sestouli, and this is Fangraphs Audio. This edition of Fangraphs Audio sees the return of two familiar guests, Dave Cameron and Joe Polakowski, in addition to the garrulous, yet always charming, Matt Clausen. In what follows, we look back at a month of baseball. Sorting by war, we find that the Cleveland Indians and the Florida Marlins are among the top five teams in the majors. Our panel of experts and occasionally Matt Clausen attempt to explain what's gotten those teams where they are today and whether their performances will continue as we move further into the season. Beyond that, we discuss, in no little depth, the live event to take place at the Sabre Conference this summer in Long Beach. Dave Cameron tells the panel and the listener what to expect at that live event. Finally, we end our pod by discussing how to watch a baseball game live. Do we watch as orthodox sabermetricians, casual fans of the game, or something in between? Finally, it's my duty to note that, for one reason or another, there are some loose moments in this particular edition of the pod, including a protracted discussion of Travis Hafner's face and whether or not one can scientifically prove that he's goofy-looking. I apologize for that, and I apologize for everything on this edition of Fangraphs Audio. It's Fangraphs Audio. I am Carson Sestouli. Uh, let's take a look around this virtual table. It's the return of the virtual table, or maybe it's not. It's, it's a uh, far-flung virtual but also totally fake table. And uh, sitting over there, well, probably sitting in his house, whatever, in North Carolina, uh, is Dave Cameron. Dave, how are you? I'm good. I am sitting in my house. Oh, yeah. Hey, listen, uh, you mentioned when we were in Arizona that you have, that your, like, workstation is that you sit on the couch and you put your computer on an ottoman. Is that still what you do? Yeah, although I lost my ottoman because we put our house on the market, and so when you do showings, you have to make it look like no one lives here. So 95% of our functional furniture has gone into storage. So I now have to use uh, something else that is not nearly as effective. Okay, because using an ottoman is is obviously bad, generally. I, I mean, do you have, like, ergonomic-related problems? No. I, I think, I, actually, I think now they propel Turks, Carson. They're, <laughs> wow. It's getting, it's getting things started off on a good note. Thank you, Matt Clausen. Thank you, Dave Cameron, for mentioning that. Uh, who else? Oh, so that is Matt Clausen joining us uh, from the frozen north. Uh, uh, just let the uh, listener be advised. Um, Clausen uh, is probably going to have some manner of technical difficulty, and as much as it might seem likely, it's not actually us just turning his mic off. Clausen, uh, you there? Zing. <laughs> yeah, I just said zing. Oh, yeah, we heard that. Um so, Clausen, what's the deal? Where have you been the last week you were gone? To, you just had your first post in like a week today. What, what, have you, what are you doing up there? Is the, is the Canadian Easter, is that a week long? Yeah, all right. Utter silence. There you go. Totally flawless. Yeah. Okay, very good. Uh, we'll come back to you, Clausen. Um, uh, Joe Paul. Now, Joe Paul, you mentioned today. Uh, uh, of course, I should say you're joining us from the biggest of apples, New York City. You're jo- uh, you mentioned today on your um, morning after, which 
uh, is taking the world by storm, uh, that you're going to be gone for the next two days. Are you allowed to divulge to the listening public the wide, the wide, uh, the wide readership or listenership? Why it is exactly you're going to be gone? Well, I'm not. I'm not quite sure the wide listenership is interested in me acting like a college kid again for a weekend. You're going to go act like a college kid. So you mean like study at the the reading room of a local university? Yeah. <laughs> Very bookish crowd we have here. Uh, okay, so there you go. There's the cast for today's um, for today's uh, episode in absurdity. Let's start with an announcement that just went up on the site today. We're recording this on a Wednesday. Uh, definitely not when it's being posted on the site. Um, Dave Cameron, you announced that, uh, in fact, there would be, just like there was last year, uh, last summer uh, in New York, there will be now another, there will be a Fangraphs Live event in Los Angeles. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, well, I was actually uh, reprimanded in the comments. It's taking place in Long Beach, which apparently is not Los Angeles. Uh, so somewhere in the L.A., greater metropolitan area, uh, the S- Society of American Baseball Research is having their national conference there uh, the weekend of July 6th through the 10th. And so uh, at the winter meetings, actually, I spoke with Vince Gennaro, who's one of the guys in charge of Sabre and uh, author of Diamond Dollars and fan of Fangraphs and a, just a generally all-around good guy. We talked about doing something together at the convention, and uh, so we've made that a reality. We're going to host a Fangraphs live event basically at Sabre convention. It'll be in the same building. It's not part of the conference. You have to buy a ticket separately, but we have set up deals where if you buy a ticket to Fangraphs Live, you essentially will get your money back if you also buy a ticket to Favor with the discount that we can provide. So um, we're hoping that people will do both and uh, just have a whole baseball nerdery weekend. So if they're planning on going uh, to one or the other, they should go to both is what you're saying. Yeah, I I didn't announce this in the post, but it's actually cheaper if you're a non-Favor member to register for our event and then use our discount code to register for the whole conference than it is to just register for the whole conference. It's $159 for non-Saber members to go to the whole thing, but then we give you 15% off, which is about $25 discount, and our event costs 20 bucks. So it's $5 cheaper to come to our event than to not come to our event. Yeah, so th- so essentially what Fangraphs Live will become for some people is like uh, what my parents used to do uh, where they would go on like a tour of a... Um, uh, what do you call these things? Uh, timeshare, and then uh, then you get like four free tickets to Disneyland or something. Right. Hopefully, we will not be intense pressure salesmen, and people will enjoy this much more than a timeshare. But uh, same concept, kind of. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, what's worse? I wonder what's a worse investment: uh, the Ryan Howard contract, uh, the Ryan Braun contract, or uh, a timeshare bought in the eighties. Um, that's one of those questions that's almost. Um, it's like a rhetorical question. Clausen. Yeah, I'm not sure it is. I think that's legit. Uh, <laughs> I think that's gonna be my that's gonna be my response post to Dave. I'm gonna say that or, or, or an extension. I'm gonna see how you know triangulate with timeshares. Clausen, have you ever been to a saber meeting before? Uh, no. You haven't. I, I I'm not. Uh, I'm a little too sabermetric, but I, since I'm uh, not quite 40 years old yet, I'm like 20 years too young. Mm. So uh, yeah. it should be interesting. Joe Paul, have you ever been to a saber meeting? I have not. I was actually thinking about joining this year while I still qualify for that under 30 membership. All right. Um, now, I mean, what people should know, and Cameron, I, I don't know if you've been to one either, is that, is that saber, uh, for better or worse, I mean, this, these are just the facts, is um, contrary to what 
some or perhaps many believe is not actually statistically oriented much at all. Um, it's sort of a uh, just an umbrella organization um, for all manner of things. I mean, I've been to meetings. I used to go to meetings in Portland where, you know, there would be just like a, a 45-minute talk. It actually a pretty interesting one uh, on just a, like an umpire from the 1950s. You know, um, and uh, you just can kind of uh, get into these lives. And I know that, uh, um, you know, it's it's more historically oriented. I guess is the idea. Um, yeah, I think when I'm talking to Vince, you know, there definitely there are different wings of Saber, and so like there's the historical research arm, uh, which takes up a decent chunk of it, and then there is statistical analysis. You know, Phil Birnbaum leads a panel where they do some pretty interesting stuff. Um, so it's not that they don't have any stat and stuff, but they also tend to skew a little bit older, and I think we tend to skew a little bit younger. So it'll be an interesting combination to have a, a bunch of college, you know, teenage, the average fangrass reader, I think, is probably in their early 20s, uh, have a bunch of those guys mixing in with the Sabre crowd, who I think their bedtime is like 7.30. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how this mixes. On the other hand, for fangrass readers, you may be able to get uh, seated at a restaurant when you're actually ready to eat. There'll be no problems. There's that benefit, yeah. Yeah, actually, uh, uh, it's, it's a fact about old people. Like, I was in uh, Jupiter, Florida a couple, like a month ago, I guess now, and uh, I was with my grandfather, who likes to eat about 5 p.m., and he said, that's the time you got to go. That's the good time. Uh, but Early bird special. Right, of course, yeah. Um, we weren't even eating birds. But I guess <laughs> it's just for anything. Cameron, you, um, what are we going to talk about when we're there? Just We're just going to hang out? Uh, so we're planning on probably three different discussion panels. The first one will start off with a local teams panel, much like what we did in New York last year when we discussed the Yankees and Mets. This one will be around the Dodgers and Angels. So John Weissman of Dodger Thoughts, uh, the Eric Steven of True Blue LA, and then Rich Letterer of Baseball Analyst, because I couldn't find a good Angels blogger that I wanted to invite to this event. So uh, Rich Letterer will be filling in, talking about the Angels. He actually does follow the Angels, so he will have informed things to say. Um, but I will say it's really hard to find a good Sabermetric Angels blogger, I don't think one actually exists. Oh, boy. oh Dave, how dare you insult Reverend Halo's fan? Yeah, you know, he uh, crossed my mind, and then I thought better of it. <laughs> well, like, you know, hey, but, but that, you could take this as an invitation. If there are any uh, sabermetrically oriented bloggers out there, uh, let us know. Yeah, right. Send us an email. We might consider adding you to the panel. But Rich, is, I think, is going to do a really good job of representing the Angels mindset and... Uh, so I think the three of them will have some really interesting things to say about the local teams. Uh, and then Rob Nyer, Vince Gennaro, uh, David Appleman, uh, and myself, and probably Rich will probably stick around for this. Is We'll talk about kind of where the state of current uh, analysis is and where it's going and kind of um, what we'd like to see in the future. And then we'll probably do some kind of Q&A. Uh, Jonah Carey is going to be there. Carson's going to be there. Uh, Appleman and myself. So we'll do a Sangraph-centric Q&A. Um, is the plan, and we might add some uh, other guests uh, that have not yet been announced that could shift things around, but that's kind of the current format where you'll get three distinct dis- uh, discussions, and then we're going to have you know a decent amount of audience participation. I think one of the things we regretted from our New York event is that uh, we had so many really interesting people who wanted to talk on stage that we didn't get to hear from the audience quite as much, so we're going to try and integrate the audience a little bit more and have it be a little more interactive. Do you think I don't know? I think you think with the with the local teams thing. Do you think there's anything to talk about with the Dodgers? You know, it's a really boring franchise with nothing going on. But we might find one or two things. Uh, we're not talking about the Dodgers on this podcast, uh, thankfully. Um, but uh, one thing that, that I 
would like to look at, um, you know, we're sort of at this place now a month into the season where um, if not necessarily, you know, on a sort of individual player level, um, then at least on the team level, we're beginning to see um, some traits emerge, you know, some things that, you know, that might, uh, you know, sort of be, be representative of, uh, of the talent of a particular team. Uh, I, I just sort of put together before the before we got on here um, a kind of uh, I guess a, a, a war based standings right essentially I just added up the uh, all the war uh, from the uh, field players and then added it to the pitchers and uh, your first three teams are the Cardinals Yankees Phillies uh, Cardinals largely on the basis of their uh, of their hitting. Uh, and the fielding is actually uh, 10 runs above average now. Take that for what it's worth. Uh, the Yankees, uh, uh, more balanced, uh, but uh, still towards hitting. And then the Phillies, of course, uh, I think if they're pitching at this point, is twice as valuable. Uh, the next two teams after that, however, in the 4-5 and five spot on this list are of some note. Uh, they're the Florida Marlins and the Cleveland Indians. And I am curious to hear... Um, uh, you, the three of you, uh, your respective takes on these three teams. Uh, let's start. Let's start with Joe Paul. Uh, and Joe Paul, you can start wherever you want uh, in the uh, uh, the tropical um, and uh, colorful um, uh, city of Miami, or the the dreadful and uh, you know whatever else uh, city of Cleveland. Well, it's it's obviously more interesting to start with Cleveland because they're a team that no one really expected to do well heading into the season. They started off hot. They got some excellent pitching performances, but their bats are really the story. I mean, their pitching is pitched well, and I don't think they're going to you know kind of keep up this level of of production. Josh Tomlin at a two three three ERA. I mean, how many how many quality starts can this guy put together? He's put together basically four very good starts so far. So far, and you know, by all measures, he's a guy who can get by by you know changing speeds on guys and trying to get him to make bad contact. Yeah, but that's not typically the guy you see putting up the you know without an out pitch. He's not typically the guy you see uh, putting up ace like numbers. Uh, you know, on the other hand, you know, they have Fausto Carmona, who's probably better than a five seven six ERA. Uh, but you know, leaving that aside, because I said the the offense is obviously more more interesting. Uh, you know, they've gotten a ton of surprising and unsurprising performances. Uh, and I got to say, Travis Hafner is probably my favorite of all uh, favorite of them all because. Was there any more fun player to go watch? And I, I put this out to everyone. Was there any more fun player to watch from like 2005 through 2007 than Travis Hafner? Uh, well, he had the best nickname. Oh yeah, yeah. I think a good nickname will help a player. Uh, I mean, obviously, it in the nickname uh, suits him because he looks. I mean, he looks like a man beast, right? Um, he's a strange, and he well, had, if by he had, man beast you mean fat dorky white guy, then yes. Why dorky? What is that? Oh, he definitely looks dorky. Well, he looks dorky? Oh, which yeah. is fun, which is fun. I mean, it, you know, this guy kind of got that John Cruck, uh, Greg Luzinski kind of thing. But, but John yeah. Cruck doesn't look dorky either. And I don't know what Greg Luzinski looks like, because I'm not, <laughs> you know, that old. But, uh, but wait, I, does, Cameron, do you really think Travis Hafter looks dorky? Uh, I just sound like it falls outside of my skill set. I have no idea. I'm a dork. He doesn't look like me. Yeah, I know. That's precisely what I'm saying. He looks like you, maybe if you took uh, you know five or six course, uh, cycles of steroids. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. He would look like me if I took the Barry Bonds regimen. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I don't think anyone who's that large can look dorky. I think you outgrow dorkdom. I, well, I okay. Well, goofy, because he's 
very uh, okay. Well, Goofy's Goofy, I'll accept. Yeah, maybe uh, Dorky wasn't. Uh, forgive, forgive the imprecision of my rhetoric. How, how are we supposed to quantify any of this? What are you talking about? <laughs> well, this is what we do, right? We quantify things. This is all non-quantify. Like, is Joe Morgan our weekly chat? Uh, you know, guest is he going to come on and uh, spew how great uh, looks are and the good face? No, no. Look, 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 Dave. I've looked in the Travis Hafner eyes, and they're they're honest eyes. They're soft eyes, and you know they're the eyes of someone who's not going to get hurt this year. It really. De- I think I think what's really important with Hafner is whether or not he can be consistent. Yeah. So those. That, that's true. I'm sure, but. Um, but I think I think you could quali- I mean I'm sure that you could quantify uh, there'd be a way to measure if someone looks dorky because like I think you're actually I mean aren't there ways to actually like measure like physical beauty especially like facial beauty given the given bone structure you know if you did quantify it maybe you could call it nerd uh, uh, well I I do, <laughs> I do think that if you could quantify it not graph should be all over that I think you could quantify it I mean. Haven't there been studies about like like how cheekbones ought to look, or not ought to look? I mean, that's not what I'm saying. Um, he has a funny nose, I guess. I don't know. Why are we talking about this? Why? Why? I think let's, let's get to what's really important uh, issue with 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 Hafner's performance this season. Are the pronk bars going to come back? The par- the pronk bars? They had candy bars. Yeah, they the red bars. Oh, they did. I didn't know this. All right, so but why do you think uh, so? You like Pronk? Well, I mean, besides watching, what what do you like about him, Joe Paul? Well, I mean, other than the fact that he brings basically every skill to the table. I mean, remember in his prime, he was every offensive well, skill. He, he, yeah, he, well, right. obviously he's not yeah. <laughs> he's not really being trotted out to the field. But I mean, in his prime, he was one of, if not the best hitter in baseball. Right, and was it just a it was a shoulder? Is that right? Yeah, that was that was the thing that held him back. Basically, I think it started in 07 because that's when his power started to fade. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, obviously, over the past few years, he hasn't been able to get, you know, a consistent string of at bats or you know any power going. And then this year, all of a sudden, you know, he he comes into camp healthy. He starts out. He's got nine extra base hits so far. Uh, he's hit four homers, and he's he's basically been you know helping drive an offense that you know has they have some surprises on it. I mean, you know, Jack Hanahan's not gonna hit like he is, but you know. You know, Grady Sizemore has come back and has hit like you know we expect Grady Sizemore to hit from time to time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt Laporta, Matt Laporta is a guy who I mean, how many how many fans do you talk to over the course of the winter, especially fantasy guys who have heard the hype about Laporta and then said, oh well, he's not going to be any good. Now this year he comes out and does kind of maybe even a little more than uh, we've expected so far. Yeah, well that's been a good story, I guess. Uh, um, I mean, I think it's a you know obviously it's compelling anytime a team. That you don't expect to perform well does perform well because it creates uh, questions and, and, it, and it gives you an opportunity to look at maybe at what you missed. Um, Cameron, with regard to the Indians, do you think we did miss something? Or maybe you maybe you think that it's just luck. No, I mean I think if you're going to look at what the Indians, I mean you know they're getting good years from guys like Jack Hanahan and this Joe mentioned that's not going to continue. But I think that offensively we thought they could had a chance to be pretty good. I mean I love Carlos Santana. You know, Shinsu Chu is a pretty good player. Like, there's some talent on that offense. But the reason the Indians are winning is because their pitching has a 3.70 ERA, and this is supposed to be one of the worst pitching staffs in the American League. And if you look at, like, what's the main driver of their success so far, it's a 6% home run to fly ball ratio. And, you know, I've written enough about home run to fly ball ratio to tell you that 6% is not sustainable, not even for the San Francisco Giants, not even in that park, not even with Dave Rigetti. And it's certainly not going to happen with uh, the Cleveland Indians in their park in the American League. 
So I think the uh, Indian staff is due for some significant regression. Uh, you know, Carlos Carrasco's got a bulky elbow. That won't help. There's not a lot of pitching depth there, so if they, you know, lose a guy to an injury, uh, the replacement's not going to be very good. I, I just think the Indian pitching staff is uh, mostly smoke and mirrors at this point, and they're due for quite a fall. Well, Dave, j- to be fair about the, the homer-to-fly-ball ratio, I mean, they're probably going to have a below-average home run rate in general because they have a ton of ground ballers in that staff. Well, sure, but that's, you know, that's why we have homer-to-fly-ball ratios yeah. to take, you know, account for that. So I think, you know, was- even with guys like Masterson who aren't going to give up a lot of home runs, you know, their homer to fly ball ratio. I think Masters is four, Carrasco's is three. Uh, you know, they're just, these are not sustainable rates, even for ground ball guys. Well, yeah, in fact, don't, don't, uh, uh, I, I think, what, maybe Josh Kalk, uh, some time ago did some research on that. The, uh, whether or not, uh, ground ballers have any sort of different home run to fly ball ratios. I think they come out basically the same. I think they're actually a little higher. Yeah, there have been people who found. I, th- I think I've seen things both ways. I think a lot of people generally accept that ground ballers, when the ball does go in the air, tend to give up more home runs. Right. But I remember Matthew Carruth did a series, uh, man, it may have been more than a year ago already, where he found that that's not uh, that he had some different findings, if I'm remembering correctly. So there's some debate around it. I think some pe- people generally expect ground ballers to give up more home runs per fly ball, uh, but it's not. Uh, it's an area people are researching. I think the one thing that I've noticed in looking through the leaderboards is if you see the guys who consistently give up higher homer-to-fly ball ratios, they're almost all ground ball guys. It's Derek Lowe, and it's that kind of pitcher who over you know a three- or four-year period are going to post consistently higher homer-to-fly ball ratios than normal. Uh, there are, you just don't see that many fly ball pitchers going the other way. Well, uh, yeah, well, that would be an interesting uh, thing to... Because uh, I, I do... I, I think I might remember the same thing that Clausen's remembering. Um uh, that that maybe that the opposite was found, but it would be uh, it's anyway it's it's sort of an interesting um, I guess uh, lens through which to to look at this team. Clausen, uh, uh, you uh, spend a lot of your time when you're rooting for baseball teams, um, rooting for a team in the AL Central, and uh, actually the Royals have played now. I think they're on their second series already uh, with the Indians. Yeah, it's it's gonna this is this might be for the division this season. Right, um, and of course. The Royals, I actually, it, this, this is a thing that happens sometimes when you um, maybe spend, you know, sort of uh, ex- your time looking at baseball stats at, at Fangraphs as opposed to s- some other sites, uh, is that you kind of lose entirely the notion of, like, where teams actually are located, uh, you know, because you sort of, like, look past ERA and, uh, you know, you look past wins and losses sometimes, s- sort of get a, a longer view of where teams are going. I, I, I don't know what the Royals' record is right now. I could tell you that, uh, again, per this uh, quick and dirty uh, war chart, uh, war standings, they're 18th overall. Um, which well, they're tied, they're tied with Detroit for second. They're two and a half games back of, of Cleveland. Right. Well, what I, I don't even want to talk about the Royals. I want to talk about if you've been able to see the Indians and what your impressions are of them, you know, because I assume that you've seen a whole bunch of uh, Royals-Indians games in your life at this point. Not as many as I'd like to this season because it's been kind of crazy. But, I, yeah, I think there's uh, – I think the notion that Jack Han- uh, Hanahan <laughs> is, is not going to sustain his 380 Wolva is just really unfair. He's awesome. Uh, uh, but uh, I, you know, there's itch- I, I think, as we said, you know, that uh, obviously they have some mobile performers on offense. As, as much as I would like, for nostalgia's sake, for Hafner to, to be back at a, a you know, four seven, you know, 400 plus Wolva, that's that's not going to happen. Uh, 
On the other hand, uh, I'm not sure that as guys like Asdrubal Cabrera are that far over his, their heads. I mean, I think he's over his head, but I don't think he's necessarily a terrible hitter. I mean, he, I don't think he'll he's got about a 344, 340-something over right now, so I'm not sure uh, he can keep that up. But, you know, this is a guy who's still relatively young, who was a fairly promising player, uh, and still is. Carlos Santana and Sin Shu Chu are both... Uh, hitting horribly so far. So those guys who will come up as uh, Hafner and Hanahan and, and Cabrera come down. I don't think Laporta is... I, I didn't expect him to play that well this year, but a 365 isn't... Uh, it's not awesome. I mean, it's it's definitely good, but it's not unrealistic given his... Uh, uh, given uh, what, what kind of player he people thought he would be. Uh, I, I, so I guess I'm agreeing with Dave here. I, I will say that I'm not sure that Masterson is... I think he's, his ERA and FIP are better than his true talent, but I don't think they're necessarily that much better. I think there are other questions, of course. Uh, I think Carmona will be better. I think I, I, you know, Josh Tomlin and people like that. I think, you know, Masterson uh, does get a really good ground ball rate. He's not actually striking out that many guys compared to in the past. Maybe uh, without looking right at it, maybe he's getting his issues with left-handed hitters under control as well. Matt, Matt, oh, he did, he did a lot of run last two. night, too. Milky Cabrera, so there's that. Uh, Shin Choo Choo. <laughs> Okay, Cameron, what were you going to say? I was going to say, yeah, Masterson's ERA is 2.2. I, I don't know how good you guys think Justin Masterson's going to be, but, I mean, I think there's at least a two-run regression coming. Um, I say one, I say one and a half. He's got a strand rate over 80%. There's definitely reg- I mean, there's, it's just a right. strand well, rate alone. 2.2 is, is not, 2.2 is not really a sustainable number for anyone, except, you know, maybe a Phillies starter. Right. Um, uh, now, mo- moving, though, to... Uh, to the NL East, actually. Um, well, actually, a couple things. Uh, uh, one, um, uh, a reader uh, slash listener via Twitter, um, actually a, a Twitter handle, Mr. Horror Pants. So we're working with that. Uh, <laughs> is curious uh, about the uh, if uh, AL NL parody um, is maybe, uh, or if, if the AL and NL are moving closer to, to parody. Of course, the AL has been dominant. Um, in recent years, um, and it's possible, maybe, maybe not, that the the Marlins' success uh, is a sign of that, especially because they do have a lot of young players. Uh, maybe Dave Cameron, could you talk to to that briefly? Yeah, I mean, I think this is you know the other team that you mentioned is the Marlins and the surprising standings. And I think you know if you look at the Marlins and why they're succeeding, I mean, Josh Johnson, obviously super talented, is having a great year. Uh, before he got hurt, Logan Morrison, had, you know, finally showing power. Uh, he'd already shown every other skill, and so they just added that to his tool. Um, you know, I think there's some really good young players, obviously, Hammond Ramirez and Mike Stanton and some of the well-known guys. But I think, you know, to talk about the balance of power, there's a lot of teams like the Marlins. I think you look at the Braves in that National League East as well. Um, and just that rookie crop that came in last year, and say, like, there's a lot of really good young talent in the National League, and I have to wonder if maybe the the gap between the AL and NL is shrinking. I mean, if you look at last year's American League Rookie of the Year crop, it is, you know, pales in comparison to what the National League crop was. I think that the Marlins are kind of an example of um, some of these good young teams that are just loaded with, you know, five or six really, you know, like, cornerstone kind of players all early in their careers. When you look at the American League, the best teams are old. I mean, you have the Yankees and Red Sox and um, even the Rangers aren't the youngest team around. Uh, you know, I will wonder if this National League gap is uh, beginning to close as the good young teams all seem to be loaded up in the National League. Joe Paul? Uh, I find this issue a little bit less interesting than, I, than you guys, I guess. Uh, 
just in that yeah, it is it is what it is. It's always going to cycle back and forth, and that's why I think I find it a little bit less interesting, is that it it's always going to happen like this. You know, the NL is, you know, how many years before uh, the AL had its recent run of dominance? How many years before that was the NL dominant? And, uh, you know, it's going on the cycle of things, and, you know, a lot when, when you have poorer teams, you're going to have teams with better draft picks, and you're going to have teams coming up uh, with, with uh, you know, with, uh, as Dave said, a uh, much better crop of young players. Though I do have to wonder uh, if you guys think that, or I, I'm not sure because I haven't even researched it at all, but if the, the changing rule, where the rule changed where, you know, previously in the draft, they would switch leagues. So the worst team in the AL would pick first one year and the worst team in the NL would pick first the next year. Uh, do you think the just the going by straight standings might have had something to do with uh, parity kind of catching up a little bit quicker? Well, when did that rule change? Uh, I don't no, know. It was, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was the last CBA, wasn't it? Yeah, it was like five or six years ago, I think. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure how much that affects things. I think by the different measures people use uh, to determine these things, uh, I think you know the AL has been the better league for almost two, 20 years. Uh, the 80s were pretty 20, even. Really? Yeah. yeah. It's been a while. Uh, and, and, but but the, the NL was do- maybe even more dominant. I think in the 70s. Of course, then it was a little bit harder to measure because there was no interleague play. But I think if you look at players who played in both leagues, uh, sort of working on a, a small version of that project, the, the NL was incredibly dominant in the 70s and the early 80s. And it was sort of even for the rest of the 80s. Uh, the NL may have been uh, dominant through the 60s, too. So it, it, it lasts a long time. I think money is, is probably an issue, uh, maybe the biggest issue, uh, 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 well, actually, I'd say starting that. I mean, I think most people would say that money is the biggest issue. I think uh, AL teams in general, uh, as a whole, or maybe at least in the past, have been better run. So, uh, so while, but I do think Dave has a good point about the younger talent coming up in the NL that may uh, at least even things out. On the other hand, uh, who knows how long it's going to last? I mean, the, I think most people, the, the best uh, farm systems uh, in, in, in the, I mean. Sorry, in baseball right now are, are pretty much uh, the Royals, the Rays. I don't know who else would be up there. So the Rangers still top three or four system. Yeah, but the Braves are in there too. I mean, the Braves are yeah. pretty good. Yeah, not to take anything away from obviously the Braves. I'm just saying that. So we'll see how that works out in a longer term thing because it's something that's hard to measure one year. Interleague will be interesting this year. I know that uh, Justin Mary uh, did a post during last year's interleague that showed that. They, uh, uh, I mean, obviously, not just looking at the record, but compared to recent years, the NL was closed, all the AL is still dominating. Okay, so so if we're coming down with verdicts here, uh, it sounds like everyone is probably under the uh, of the opinion that the Indians, um, while not entirely flukish, because we always thought they could have a good offense, uh, maybe are not showing enough in the way of pitching, or don't. Act, sorry, I should say they've they've shown uh, enough, but. Will not continue to uh, because they've been the benefit of some uh, some luck. Uh, whereas the Marlins, uh, the Marlins could be more inter- interesting. It sounds like. Yeah, I'm sorry. I think I think sorry. Uh, well, I guess we got kind of sidetracked on the early thing. Yeah, I'm not sure the the Marlins are this good, and I'll just jump in and start talking. I'm sorry. Uh, You've only apologized I, three times, but will you do yeah, um, just apologize really I, sincerely this time? I am so sorry. Okay, continue now. Uh, uh, I, I, I keep in mind that Hanley Ramirez hasn't hit at all yet. I mean, he's has like a 260 Woba. So, you know, Morrison obviously is not gonna, was not gonna keep going at his, you know, 450 pace, but, uh, and Gabby Sanchez, I don't think is a, is, is 
is, is as good as he's been hitting. But it's not, they're not way over their heads. And I think another difference to the Marlins is I don't think, unlike Cleveland, I don't think that there is, although I don't think, I wouldn't have said they were the best team, or I wouldn't have picked them to win the division even, or, or the wild card going into the season. I don't think the distance between them and the Braves and the Phillies, well, I don't know, those are better teams than the top teams in the AL Central, but the Marlins aren't as bad as I thought the Indians and the Royals would be, for example. So there's potential there. Uh, I wouldn't, still wouldn't say they're going to win the division, but I think they're going to make some noise. I think they're the best offense among those three. Or at least potentially the best offense. I mean, Mike Stanton also hasn't hit that much uh, since he came back from his hamstring injury, and you know, the past week or so he started to, he started to come around. Uh, and I think that with you know with him, if they if they get someone for third base, and um, I guess they've been talking about Mark DeRosa, but he's not that that huge a boost on offense. Uh, but well, if they can over, fill in that spot what, over Emilio Bonifacio, who, you know, yeah. who they've been rolling out there recently, and uh, you know, because they I guess because they had they had Dominguez lined up sort of uh, and then uh, there were some serious questions I guess as to whether he'd be able to hit um, and so they've really been patchwork over there haven't they with uh, Bonifacio uh, I'm trying to even think who else oh I guess they probably had Greg Dobbs over there a little oh, bit oh yeah Greg Dobbs has played well he's play, he played decently well this year uh, yeah from sure that spot he's, to it. Yeah. he's a decent he's a good bench guy there's, there's no doubt about that uh, um, yeah, and then, but, and I think that, uh, but that's still, I mean, that's not, you know, that's not what you want for, for starting, t- you know, for for a team yeah. that you think might make the playoffs. No, but again, they have that, they have that deep farm system. They can definitely swing if they wanted to trade a swing a trade for a better third baseman. They could probably find one in the market if they, you know, if they really wanted to pay a premium for one. Not sure they want to because of the, you know, because of, you know, because of. Because uh, they're the Marlins. Well, because the Domingo, because they're the Marlins, and because of Dominguez. No, but if they found a second baseman, they could always swing Infante over there temporarily. Uh, so no, they have options, and I think if you know, that's really their one black hole. Uh, I guess catcher too, John Buck. He'll run in the one every once in a while, but he's not that great. You know, they have a good offensive outfield. Uh, they have a, a number of hitters. You know, they have a, a good three-four punch. Oh, uh, Joe Paul and Hanley and Stick. That's Probably, I mean, I don't want, I don't want to go, jump on a limit. Say, you know, based on the early season results of the best offense in the division, but I think they definitely have the potential to kind of outlast both the Phillies and the and the and the and the in Atlanta. Has anyone seen Chris Coughlin play center field at all? It's not yeah, nearly it's as bad as I thought it would be. You have, yeah. Okay. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, like I thought this was going to be a train wreck. Like this was going to be, you know, Raul Abanez out there kind of thing. And you know, he's not a good second baseman. He wasn't a good left fielder. I don't know if he worked really hard or if they have good coaching or something. The games I've seen, he's not great. He's not a gold glover, uh, but he's serviceable. I would say probably true talent, maybe negative five, negative ten as a center fielder. Which you know, if he hits well, you can live with that. And and is it is it because I don't remember him being particularly fast or terrifically athletic. Yeah, he's not. He's, uh, you know, an instincts guy, and he's getting pretty good routes, and he's getting decent jumps, and I mean, he's one of those guys who's playing better defense than you would think he could based on his physical skills, and, uh, you know, considering how bad he was last year, it's a pretty remarkable transformation, or, you know, (laughs) a fluke. But he's not slow, either. Uh, He's slower than he is fast. I mean, if you had to pick one adjective between the two to Tagging with, I would go with slow before I went with fast. Clausen, what do you think about uh, all these uh, these binary relationships? Oh, I think it's a obvious example of the autofallo theologocentric uh, predicament. Yep. 
Oh, whatever, Clausen. One zero one one zero one one. How dare you, sir? Yeah, you just said something <laughs> terrible in uh, binary code. It's, uh, it's horrible. Um, okay, well, very good. Uh, before uh, I let you go and um, or force you to leave and uh, get off my phone line here, um, the uh, Mr. Horror Pants. Um, um, <laughs> Uh, he asked a question that I think is uh, is more Wait, reverent. Mr. Horror, Mr. Horror Pants is following you on Twitter. Is Mr. Horror Pants just Molly? Yeah. Uh, um, I, by Molly, you would have to explain that. Uh, Molly is a particularly um, enthusiastic. You're bi- the person who writes and edits your Wikipedia entry. You know, uh, that's a that's a distinct possibility. Uh, I, don't I think, think you just made uh, Carson a little uncomfortable there, Matt. <laughs> you did more than yeah. usual. <laughs> Time will tell. Do. Yeah, time will tell how uncomfortable you made me. Um, great. Now I'm gonna have to go see my therapist right after we're done. Well, I, I guess we'll find out how uncomfortable Carson really was by uh, whether this actually makes the final edit or not. Yeah, most of um, the words that you guys speak don't make the final cuts. It's mostly just like a soliloquy. I narrow it down to, and a good one. Um, well, no, the question was. Uh, um, Tongue firmly in cheek. Um, can you, is it still possible to buy and enjoy foam number one fingers without irony? Um, and I think that it's funny. But I'm, it, that, what that led me to 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 think about and something that uh, because we're nerds uh, does not always come up. Um, I, these discussions are on the site. Is how best to watch a game uh, when you're at a game. Um, I assume that you all go to games. Um, I might be assuming incorrectly, but like Joe Paul, uh, well here we'll start with you, Joe Paul. What games do you go? I mean, are you only are you major league only? Uh, do you go to because you guys have some minor league teams there, some pretty cool ones in New York. Um, yeah. And how do you how do you watch a game? What's what's the ideal way for you? Well, um, I do, I do go to some uh, Staten Island Yankees games and Coney Island's Mets games because they're kind of convenient. Uh, so, but that's really like only the only minor league action that goes on in the area. Now. I don't believe in hard and fast rules, Carson. I believe I know, that I'm every situation... For, for rules, I'm just asking for you. No, 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 no I, I'm, not, I'm setting you up for this. Oh, okay. I don't believe in hard and fast rules. I think there are, every situation is mutable to a certain extent. There is a hard and fast rule to watching a baseball game. Do not do the wave. Don't do the wave. Never, under any circumstances, do the wave. That's a. I mean, that to me seems like a like a slightly random thing to be dogmatic about. It, I mean, where is this coming from? It's just there's nothing more annoying than sitting in a baseball game and having the the rows in front of you stand up and go, "Wee, look at me!" Huh? It, I mean, is this? Do you, it's do you obnoxious. Feel it, it takes away from the game. There's no reason to do it. Everyone looks like an idiot when they do it. Do you feel as though that this is maybe a, a, a sort of activity in which? The, the most casual fans engage and therefore and you don't want to be part of that no I don't even know what uh, I don't know exactly what type of fan engages in it all I know is they do and it's obnoxious does anyone else have any such strong feelings about the wave you know Connor Glassy who now works for Baseball America and a friend of mine actually had a website called stopthewave.com which I don't think he updates anymore but he too is extremely passionate anti-wave are you are you that way Cameron uh you know I'm not I guess um I, most of my family is kind of casual fan-ish. My wife is not a hardcore baseball fan. And now when I go to games, uh, especially major league games, because that's usually, you know, there's no major league team within six hours of my house, so it's usually some kind of trip. 
or you know uh, taking someone to go see a game who doesn't normally go see a game. Uh, most of my major league experiences are much more now casual fan based, where I'm just trying to get them to enjoy whatever it is that we're doing so that they'll go back. And so I'm not going to chastise them for doing something that uh, they might enjoy doing. Anything that they do that has fun at a ballpark for them that will get them to go again, I'm in favor of. You know, I would be I would be interested, uh, Clausen, this, this sort of uh, in your in your area. I would be interested in, in see, seeing people even try the wave uh, at the Rogers Center. Would it would it be possible? It is, if something's actual, it is possible, Carson, as you as you know from uh, modal logic. Um, is that your entire answer? So strongly <laughs> that it's that it's that it's that it's uncool, but uh, it's also uh, hilarious in a kind of campy way. So I guess it's sort of like the foam finger. Is it possibly the wave? Unironically, it is. But I kind of feel sorry for the people doing it. Uh, because they're kind of drunk and stupid. There are, you know, you wouldn't think it, but there are uh, a remarkably, I guess, you know, I, I always thought I didn't idealize Canadians, but I guess I do. There are a lot of drunk, dumb people up here. Uh, uh, because I went to a game uh, last season, and, uh, you know, things didn't really get much more against the Royals, and I was sitting down by the, by the dugout, and things never really advanced far beyond, uh, De Jesus, you suck. Yeah. So no, I, I don't know. So so that there is a ironic. That was like Wednesday afternoon or something. So so who knows that that crowd might have been a, a special a special blend. Uh, for me, yeah, I, I kind of with Dave. Uh, when I go to the game, I try to be. A, I don't know if Dave's saying he tried. I try to just be a casual fan, just kind of hang out, not get in any fights, uh, just kind of enjoy it. You know, I don't because I don't get to go to games that much because we don't live close to Rogers Center and so I'm usually, when I do go it's usually with a group of people who aren't, don't watch baseball the same way I do and uh, yeah, so I try to do it, you know, maybe it's a little bit campy uh, and, and maybe that's uh, not, you know, kind of a waste of money then just to go to camp but, but yeah, it's, it's fun, I mean the Rogers Center is uh, well, it's not new enough to be nice and not old enough to be classic it's it's not, it like, would never be classic unless it's like a relic of it's like it's like a futuristic building from a film made in the 1960s. <laughs> right, right. It's like uh, it's like Troy McClure's house. <laughs> <laughs> it's like something from the future. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. So that's that's strange. I, uh, now listen, you have you've produced another human, uh, Clausen, <laughs> via the wonder. Known as, uh, well, I don't know. I don't know if this is getting. This, we're going into uncharted. You have therapy. a child, is what I'm trying to say. This is the fact, and I'm curious as to what if you have you brought your son to to a game yet? Not yet. He's only 20 months old, and that I would find annoying. I mean, I, I'm glad kids go to baseball games. I want there to be future baseball fans, and it's fun to be with the family. I think a 20 month old would be. What's the cutoff? Then? What's the cutoff for you? I, yeah, I don't know. It depends on what the kid, how the kid behaves. Right now, my son, my son's a little bit big for his age, so he's not really big enough and patient enough to get his own seat. But man, as I can tell you from the plane, uh, having him sit with you for hours on end is not pleasant. And he's a well-behaved kid, but uh, he's a well-baked you know, kid. Is that what you? Just yes, said? well-behaved. Actually, I've seen really little babies at baseball games, like just a few months old. And although I would be concerned, you know, with all the loud noises that I might hurt their little ears, yeah, uh, I can see that working because they can't do anything and they might just cry and then you leave. And their crying can't be any more annoying than the guy behind you drunkenly yelling, uh, "Hey Zeus, you suck." 
So well, yeah. I mean, so here's my view of jewelry: is it, as a as someone who a has very little money, but b lo- really likes going to baseball games. Um, I feel an involuntary sense of uh, grief um, towards young people that I see at games if they're not paying attention. I, I will admit to being touched if I see um, a father and son situation, and there seems to be some sort of you know kind of uh, classic. Bonding going on there, um, but when it's just like kids and they got cotton candy, um, I mean, in fact, I have written on the site a, a post called "Against Children," um, and uh, I will say that uh, I don't know, maybe if children were banned from the ballparks, you know, unless they could uh, prove a certain amount of knowledge. Does anyone support that? That sounds like the baseball version of the Jim Crow laws. You know, like make them pass a test before they can vote. Yeah, well. Yeah, I mean, you really brought it strong. I, I, uh, I, this is uh, being ageist, which is much less horrible. <laughs> oh yeah, is it? Much, is much it Carson? Is it? Is it? Yeah. Well, you could. There is age-based discrimination in place, and it's actually helpful. Like, for example, drinking ages. You know what I mean? And I say, I say the drinking age should always just be my age minus one. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, I, I'm not sure that my wife, who's 28, uh, is responsible enough for it. And uh, as as she, she mar- that worked out well for you. You got married. Um, well, right, because she has no reason. Um, I don't know who I'm insulting more. The uh, <laughs> uh, no, I, I don't know. I don't, Cameron. Do you do you have an opinion on children at the ballpark? I mean, I, I, some of my best memories of uh, being a kid or growing up in Seattle and going to watch like uh, Mariners play the Red Sox when Oil Can Boyd was pitching and like. I get to make a sign that said "kick the can," and that was like the greatest thing ever because I had the sign that like made fun of the guy's name, and his name was weird. And like I have a, I mean, I was probably four at this point, and I have this very vivid memory of like Alvin Davis matching up against Oil Can Boyd, and this is like one of the reasons I really love baseball. And so, uh, you know, if you had some kind of, you know, must be this tall in order to get through this ride kind of yeah. thing, I think you would just, you know, ruin the sport. Yeah. Now maybe there, sh- now maybe there should be a section. You know, I mean, we'd be separate but equal. Would that be okay, Carson? No. Jeez. You can't use that term. That's so horrible. No, it's... Uh... You're, the, you're the one who wants to ban the ballpark, and I'm the one making fun of you, and I'm the one who's horrible? It's different. No, kids are banned from a lot of things for good reasons. That's my point. I mean, and... and uh... Well, for safe, Well, for safety. Yeah. So maybe they, like, little kids should be banned from sitting in the very front rows so they don't get hit with a, you know, a, str- a ball. But, I mean, what, what's unsafe about a kid being at a baseball game? Well, no. And not, that's not how you can for... the kids... Carson, how are you going to build up the kid's stamina if you don't let him go to games? I remember the biggest issue when I... My dad started taking me to games when I was five. Yeah. And my biggest issue was by the eighth inning, I was getting all antsy and I wanted to go home. You know, I liked watching the baseball game, but, you know, I was a kid. I had no attention span. I couldn't sit in one place for, long, for very long. Yeah. But if I hadn't kept going to games, I wouldn't have built up the stamina in order to be able to watch the full game. Yeah. yeah I, Nolan I, Ryan... Nolan Ryan thinks that you should only take kids to uh, to to extra inning games, and that's why. By the way, well, we can't hear what Clausen's saying, but uh, we I can be we can be assured that it's hilarious. Oh, crap! Well, he'll <laughs> to build up their stamina. I'm going to repeat it. This is just like repeating your spot in wrestling. Uh, 
is that uh, Nolan Ryan is clearly understanding it. Nolan Ryan has said that Rangers fans should only bring their kids to extra inning games. Yeah. So that and that's why the Rangers have this great young fan base. That's that joke was way funnier the first time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, um, okay. Well, um, this is well. This has been a, a particularly um, disorganized uh, pod, um, and I, I blame Clausen. Um, um, just that. For, are you just, are you just trying? To, are you trying to? Are you trying to blame me for your rampant uh, bigotry? <laughs> I yeah, I'm a bigot against children. And um, one thing that I do have though, and I think that makes up for it, is I have a lot of um, tips for parents. Who don't have kids? Yeah, everyone, everyone who, everyone likes to hear tips from parents who don't have kids. What, you know, we should have Dayton Moore on here to talk about defensive metrics next, next week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I, uh, I, uh, happen. that's, that's, that's the thing though. Uh, you know, I'll give a tip to a parent and, um, and the reaction is always something like, thank you, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. That's typically the, the response. Oh, geez, Carson, you know what's going to happen is you're going to have a kid, and then, like, you know, five, seven years down the line, you're going to run for school board or something, and someone's going to dig this up. Yeah. Well, you know what? At least it'll mean someone listened to it. I, I think <laughs> of all the reasons to disqualify Carson from a school board, this would be, like, way down the list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a fact. Um, and that's really sweet of you to say, Dave Cameron. Let's say goodbye. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, for Matt Clausen. Thank you, sir. Thank you, you rageous, ra- uh, you bigoted <laughs> jerk. <laughs> <laughs> Snap? <laughs> Question mark. <laughs> uh, for Joe Polakowski, thank you, sir. <laughs> thank you for the highest laughs per word ratio of any podcast so far. Well, maybe, yeah. Well, it's only because we didn't really have that many words. Um, and for uh, for Dave Cameron, thank you, sir. Uh, you're you're welcome for the uh, the insults and the. Uh uh, that's really all I did. Yeah, it is about all you did. Uh, and f- like I say, for all of those gentlemen, um, I am and will continue to be Carson Testuli, and this has been another um, <coughs> a wildly bigoted episode of Fangraphs Audio. Mm-hmm.